Alright, good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome to the Springs. My name is Pastor Alberto. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. If you're joining us online, shout out to everyone watching online. Shout out to the Beelands, the Banks family, the Barbers. Uh, shout out to uh, my family and Morgan's family in North Carolina and maybe people in Alaska. I don't know, wherever you're watching from. Shout out to all of our family online. I'm so excited uh, to worship with you guys this morning. So this morning we are kicking off a brand new sermon series as we work our way through the last half of Ephesians, entitled For Everyone. And the idea here is that Paul, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, says that he's been commissioned to share the light of the gospel to everyone. Uh, I remember a few years back, I heard at a a conference, Danielle Strickland shared uh, that the gospel is not just for Christians, the gospel is for everyone. Uh, that this good news of Jesus is not just for church people, is not just for uh, religious people, it's for everyone. And that the gospel is one of the most inclusive news that uh, has ever been given because God in his great love and mercy tears down all these walls and barriers that would keep us from experiencing relationship with him and he invites everyone to experience new life in him. And so we'll be unpacking uh, through this last half of Ephesians and answering uh, the question, uh, what does life on mission look like? Uh, For the past four weeks, we've been discussing how we've been transferred from death to life, how apart from Christ, we're dead in our sin, and how Jesus comes and brings new life. But what does that new life look like? What does that life look like on the ground in the everyday stuff of life? What does a life on mission look like, and what do we do? Now, first I want to define, well, what does life on mission mean? It's kind of one of those things that maybe you're familiar with if you've grown up in church or you heard in some sort of church setting. Uh, I want you to consider your life. Consider your Monday through Friday. Uh, Consider the time that you wake up. Consider your routine and your rhythms. Consider your work schedule and the things that you do when you clock in or log on. Uh, consider your lunch break, consider the errands that you run, consider the commitments that you have with your activities and your people during the week, consider your normal work week. Now as you think about your life, as you think about the everyday stuff of life, a life on mission is leveraging your normal life, whatever levels of influence God has given you, to bring people to faith in Christ. Using the everyday stuff of life where God has placed you and using those moments to bring glory to God by reflecting and representing his goodness, by proclaiming his message with your words. Uh, Living a life on mission is leveraging your normal life and whatever levels of influence God has given you to bring people to faith in Christ and sharing with people that there is a love so satisfying Sharing with people that there is a love so transformative and life-giving that there is freedom in Christ. Not freedom that is found in doing whatever you want to do and living however you want to live, but a freedom that is found in Christ. This radical redefinition of freedom. You see, this world or this day and age that we live in will tell us that freedom is just getting to do whatever you want. Uh, that the highest level of freedom that you can experience is living your life without anyone interrupting you or saying uh, that the way you're living or what you're doing is wrong. Uh, That freedom can be found in performance, in wealth, in looks, in people, in relationships, but the scriptures say that that's not freedom. 
In fact, the scriptures say that living a life for yourself is the exact opposite of freedom. It's actually bondage. That when we live for ourselves and choose to do what we want to do and we write the script for our lives, we actually don't write a really good script. And what we think is life-giving is actually further enslaving us, but God offers a better vision for freedom, a radical redefinition of freedom. You see, freedom is found in being in a relationship with the God who's crazy about you. Freedom is found living with a God who loves you, who is proud of you, who delights in you, a God who likes you, church, a God who cares about you. And we shy away from sharing how good Jesus is with others because somewhere along the lines we got the message mixed up. And when we consider what it looks like to share Jesus or uh, share faith with other people, the first place our mind goes to is sin management. And somewhere along the line, instead of the message being, hey, have life with Christ and enjoy relationship with him, the message became, hey, stop sinning. Hey, stop living the way that you're living. Stop doing what you're doing, accept Christ, and then, boom, move on. My work here is done. But that's not the message. In fact, last week we discussed how Jesus came and he preached the gospel of peace, not a gospel of shame. That Jesus actually comes into our story and offers a far better way to live. And his introduction into bringing us into that story is saying, hey, I have peace for you. I have a way for you to experience wholeness and life and joy. And it's not starting off with do better. It's come, follow me. It's a gospel that says, follow me, before it says, hey, get your life together. And this gospel isn't about sin management. It's about experiencing hope, life, and joy. So when we share faith with other people, we invite other people to live life with Jesus. We invite them to experience the love and grace that God has made available for them. The invitation isn't, hey, stop living the way that you're living. The invitation is, there's a far better way to live, and it's in relationship with God. And this is God's means for getting his love and his message out into the world. God is rescuing us. God is delivering us from death. God has given us new life, and now he's using us, a broken people who have been made whole in Christ, so that we can go out into the world that is broken, that is chaotic, that is hopeless, that is violent, that is angry and hurting. And we can proclaim and embody life and hope and transformation that is found in Christ. You see, becoming his children on mission is the primary way that God gets his love out into the world. Becoming disciples who live in union with God and say, Lord, send me, I'll go, use me to be your representative is the primary way that God wants to get his message out into the world. And that is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make Christ known to everyone. And, and who is the church? We, we are the church. You and I are the church on mission together. So with this in mind, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. I want to invite you to stand. We stand to honor the reading of God's word and the authority that it has over our lives. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his Holy Spirit, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. With our remaining time together, we're going to talk about Paul's reason, his reason for living a life on mission, and what our role is, or, or the role that we have to play in a life on mission with God. So if you're taking notes, point one is his reason, and point two is our role. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we celebrate and worship uh, you. Uh, thank you for this gathering, the opportunity to, to gather, as Scott said, to lift up your holy name and be transformed by your presence in song, in prayer, in community, and your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of the church. Uh, I pray that as we look into this word, that you would uh, just give us 20-20 vision, give us laser focus to, to, to see you this morning in this word and to be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, point, point one, uh, his reason. And we're gonna look at verse one as we unpack Paul's reason for living a life on mission. Uh, for this reason... That's where I got the point from, pretty simple. Uh, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he takes a long pause. And We're going to look at verse 1. And, and the first reason that Paul gives us for a life on mission is that he's a prisoner. Uh, he says that he's a prisoner of the king. Now, there's two things happening here. I think Paul is, is speaking metaphorically, like he realizes that, that his life is given in submission to Christ and that Christ is the king of his universe. And so he sees himself as one who is uh, uh, imprisoned to Christ in the most high sacred sense, that my life belongs to Christ. But there's a second component here, and it's the fact that Paul was an actual prisoner. Uh, that as he's writing this letter, as he's communicating to his, this church in Ephesus, he's sitting in a prison cell, imprisoned, uh, put there by Rome. Now, uh, ancient literature tells us that if you were writing some sort of letter like this from prison, uh, it was very common to say, uh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Caesar. Uh, because that was the king, that was the ruling force and power of that day and age. So in any sort of correspondence, if you were writing as a prisoner, you would have identified yourself as a prisoner of Caesar because he is the, he is the ultimate authority and has all the rule and dominion over the land. But Paul does something different. He doesn't say that his life belongs to Caesar. He doesn't say that his life belongs to the ruling powers and principality of that day and age. He says that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And this right here is a radical statement in, in what Paul is doing. Because what he's saying is that I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to Caesar or to the government or to the ruling powers of this day and age. My life belongs to Christ. 
And his imprisonment, where we see him in prison, has nothing to do with a moral lapse. It has nothing to do with a moral fall. It wasn't like Paul was getting in a fistfight and being thrown into jail to protect society from him. Rather, he was imprisoned because of his commitment to Jesus. His commitment to Jesus, his commitment to this message, to this gospel caused such a disruption in the city that his life began to be persecuted by the opposing forces of that day and age. And so he was thrown into prison, not because of God's displeasure, not because of punishment from God, but because his commitment to Jesus took him there. He's a prisoner of the king. And in fact, his imprisonment, his suffering in this moment is the fruit of him being a good steward of God's grace. Think about how countercultural that is, church. Paul is in prison, and that is the fruit of his ministry. The fruit of him doing something good for God has landed him in such a terrible place. Which leads us to believe and see that, that when we live for God and that when we're committed to him and when we're enjoying him and stewarding this life-giving message that he's given us, it's not going to be short of suffering. It's not going to be uh, free of difficulties. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, hey, before you follow me, I want you to know something. Um, this might cost you your life. And this wasn't fine print. This was Jesus declaring with his words, making it very clear to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to carry the cross the way I'm going to carry the cross because waging war against the principalities of this day and age, pushing back the forces of darkness with this good gospel, this light of Christ is going to come with some sort of measure of suffering. You will experience persecution you will experience suffering. But the gospel, uh, Paul says in the scripture that this suffering and that these afflictions aren't like the day-to-day afflictions and sufferings that we experience here. In fact, when you become a Christian, the kingdom of God completely redefines all those things. They become momentary afflictions. They become momentary suffering. And they're the means that God uses to craft godliness and holiness in your life. What this means is that your suffering and your afflictions are not wasted. And so when we feel the depths of anguish because of the pain that we're experiencing, uh, our hearts may want to cry out, why God are you doing this? And God is using those moments to refine us, to craft godliness in us, to transform us. It's not empty. It's purposeful. It's used by God. Paul's imprisonment, where Paul finds himself, is the fruit of being faithful to Jesus. The second reason for Paul's life on mission was uh, that Paul was a steward. Uh, Paul was a steward of God's grace as we look at verses 2 through 6. I love the way he says this. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Uh, this is what we call like a, an ancient flex. Uh, I'm assuming you've heard this, like, like uh, God has changed my life, God has transformed me, he's given me this life-giving message, um, I've been sent here to proclaim this good news to you. I'm sure you all guys have heard of this. I'm sure it would have been more funny in ancient times. Uh, let's go. Uh, it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. Verse 4. 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery? What is Paul talking about when he says mystery? Verse 6 tells us, This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is incredible. This mystery is not like an unsolved mystery type of mystery. Paul's not talking about something that is unexplainable and unsolvable. He's not talking about uh, something that that is uh, imponderable. Paul is using this word mystery differently. Uh, In fact, the word here uh, in Greek uh, can be pronounced uh, mysterion. And in Paul's day and age, this was a a very common word. In fact, uh, many scholars have pointed out why would Paul use this word because of the association that this specific word has with all the religious spiritual cults in that day and age. Remember, Paul is in Ephesus. And Ephesus is the Mecca, the capital of dark, dark spiritual practices. You have temples. One of them, the, the most famous one is the temple to Artemis. And it was a very common experience to go to Ephesus and practice some of the most dark, demonic spiritual practices. Why? Because people were trying to find life. They were doing whatever they could do so that they could experience the type of life that they wanted. Uh, you want wealth? Go to this part of town and worship this God. You want beauty? Go bow down to this God. Uh, you want relief from your pain? Go bow down to this God. And so it was a culture that was just knee deep in all sorts of idol worship. And one of the common experiences uh, in, in, in this day and age is, is that mystery... Uh, was like this, uh, the, all these idols had their sort of like mysterious ways of working. You really didn't know how they worked or what they did. It was a mystery. And Paul is using this term uh, to sort of contextualize or speak to his community and show them that, that when you give your allegiance to Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, you can experience all the life and all the satisfaction and all the hope that you're finding for, that you're trying to find by bowing down to these other mysterious idols. Rather, this mystery has been revealed. Where all these other mysteries, like how does this God work or what does this God do, seems like an unsolved mystery. There's speculation. This mystery has been revealed. And what is this mystery? Is that Jesus has arrived. That Jesus has revealed himself in God's redemptive plan to save the world. And that this plan is not just for Jews. It's for everyone. Where uh, this idea of Jews and Gentiles getting along in this day and age, uh, it, it, would, uh, it would have been a big deal. You couldn't conceive of this in your wildest imagination. That Jews and then people who are outside of the Jewish race could mingle, could have life together, could be brought into the family of God and worship the same God. There was nothing like this. And Paul says that this mystery has been revealed. That in fact, this barrier, this dividing wall of hostility has been torn down so that there's no longer separation between Jew and Gentile. There's no longer any ethnic separation, any socioeconomic separation, that all can come into the family of God through faith in Christ. 
This has been an age-old mystery troubling Israel for centuries. What about them? What about the rest of the world? And God has revealed that through Christ Jesus, this problem of separation has been solved. That through Christ Jesus, this problem of, of, of ethnic separation and even separation because of our sinfulness has been solved. That we can all come into the household of God, not because of our own status and wealth and ethnic affiliation, but because Jesus' blood washes us white as snow, cleanses us from our sin, destroys the wall of hostility, and now we can experience union with God. And this moves Paul the mission. When, Paul, when this finally clicked in Paul's mind, that Jesus hasn't just died to redeem Israel. He's died to redeem the whole world. He went crazy. Paul committed his life to this gospel. And this moved Paul to mission. Now that this barrier of sinfulness has been removed, we can enjoy communion with God. We can share it to the rest of the world that the wall has come down, that Jesus is for everyone. But there's a, a barrier that often comes, even if we believe that barrier has come down, and even if we believe in our heart and soul that Jesus is for everyone, if we're honest with ourselves, we really don't believe it. We really don't believe that this message can be for the most broken and hurting. We sometimes really don't believe that this message can be for the rest of the world or people who don't look like us or act like us or think like us. And in a subtle way, we begin to raise another barrier. And I call this the barrier of not knowing enough. So instead of committing our life on mission and sharing Jesus with everyone, we set up a barrier that looks like, man, I don't want to do that because I'm uncomfortable, but really I just feel like I don't know enough. And, and, we, and we buy into this lie that, that you need to have everything figured out, that you need to know everything about God, that you need to have all your details worked out before you can live a life on mission. And we buy into this idea that our sinfulness or that the lives we are living disqualifies us. Though the scripture says that that barrier has been torn down and yet we still stand on the other side of it. Like there's this separation, this gap that we need to fix on our own before we can embody and proclaim the good news that Jesus is for everyone. And what I love is that the scriptures offer a completely different vision for living. You don't need to know everything. You won't know everything. But praise be to God that the scriptures give a different vision for life on mission. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 2 through 3. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. What is the mystery of God? Christ. Christ has been revealed. He is the answer. He is the solution. He is the Messiah and Savior. Life comes through him. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is all the wisdom found? Where is all the knowledge found? Where is all the truth found? Where is all the life found? In Christ. So what does this mean for you and I? 
It means that you don't need to know everything. You just need to know Jesus. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know Jesus. You don't need to know how you're going to reconcile uh, what was perceived as all these problems and issues with the scripture. You don't need to know how you're going to overcome the addictions and the brokenness that you're experiencing in life. Praise be to God that all you need to know is Jesus. And Jesus knows what you need. He is full of treasure and wisdom and knowledge and life. And so, What I believe is that as we grow with him, as we live with him, as we commune with him, church, as we enjoy him, as we do this, I believe that our lives will overflow with a life of mission. Why? Because as Jesus gets more and more and more inside of us, his gospel will come out of us. That as we begin to get more of Jesus' word and life and presence and promise inside of us, It will come out of us. Why? Because this gospel cannot be contained. This gospel cannot be imprisoned. And as Jesus gets more and more inside of us, his gospel will come out of us. This mystery of God, the person of Christ, turned into Paul's mission. The mission to tell everyone that Christ is for everyone. And this mission cost him his life. This mission made him a prisoner. And now his mission becomes our mission. So what is our role? How does Paul's imprisonment and this mystery revealed help us live a life on mission? Well, let's reconsider Paul's imprisonment as we make our way through point two, our role. Paul's ministry was not hindered by imprisonment. Uh, that, that Paul's message was not contained uh, to his jail cell. His message got out. Because the good news of Jesus cannot be imprisoned. It cannot be contained. Paul's message was not hindered. Why? Because God accomplishes his purposes in weakness. This is a, a, a truth that we must have drilled down into our soul if we're going to live a life on mission. That God accomplishes his purposes in weakness, in our weakness. Time and time again, the story of the Bible is God using broken, weak, unlikely people to accomplish his purposes in the world. We see Jesus bringing life to the woman at the well whose identity would have been uh, reduced down to her sexual sin and yet Jesus breathed new life into her. This life comes out of her and she turns into the town evangelist, the most unlikely person representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Jesus will use broken, weak, unlikely people to accomplish his purposes in the world. King David, uh, the man uh, who was used by God to uh, deliver Israel from the known enemies at the time, but also be God's representative uh, as the king on earth, was not even invited to the inaugural service uh, where where, uh, the prophet of the day and age was identifying who would be the next king. David was left out, literally on the outskirts, uh, pushed to the edge of society, not taken into consideration. Why? Because the world thought he was weak. And that same chapter, 1 Samuel 16, said that God, while we look at appearances, God looks at the heart. 
And God will time and time again use broken, weak, unlikely people to accomplish his purpose in the world. Moses violently killed an Egyptian and yet used by God. What does this mean for you? This means that God can use your weaknesses to accomplish the plans and purposes that he has for your life. God can use your weaknesses to accomplish his plan and purposes for your life. There is never a moment in the scriptures where God waits for a person to be strengthened to then be used by God. Rather, God's glory is most deeply revealed when the world looks at a person who is unlikely, uh, who is on the outskirts and margins of society, experiencing new life and power in God. That glorifies God. That brings glory to God. God uses the most broken parts of our lives. God uses what we perceive as weakness to advance his kingdom. Take a moment to consider what you perceive as weakness in your life. Take a moment to consider the the parts of your life that you feel disqualify you. Doubt, fear, anxiety, your background, feeling careless, your age. These are mine. Consider yours. Consider those things. Consider those things that you feel disqualify you and make you feel weak and can't be used by God. And remember this. Remember that in the kingdom of God, weakness does not disqualify us. Rather, it reminds us that our very lives must depend on God. Weakness in the kingdom of God is not an area of our life that God uses to identify, hey, here's where you need to fix yourself. Rather, it's used by God to remind us, you need to depend on me. Rest in me. Come to me. Weakness in our lives reminds us that we must depend on God, and it's God's grace that strengthens us. It's God's grace that defines us, not sin, not addiction, not weakness, not any form of brokenness, but Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And what this means is that when your weakness comes under Christ's control, it can be used to accomplish his will for your life. That when your weakness, when your frailty comes under the lordship of Christ, Christ will use that to grow you, uh, to, to, to strengthen you, to craft intimacy with him, but also use it to be a witness to the world around us. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, speaking on weakness. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because those moments in the kingdom of God can be used as on-ramps, as pathways for deeper intimacy with God. Uh, one, one, uh, one of my favorite memories of uh, Pastor Peter, our, our founding pastor, uh, uh, he, would, uh, I, he would flaunt his weaknesses And uh, he would flaunt them because he would say, oh, here's an area where God can be strong in my life. And that's the essence of it, is, is realizing, wow, there's areas of our life that God loves to come and intersect with and strengthen you. Uh, and bring joy and life to. Uh, 
uh, that there's not a part of our lives that God isn't uh, disinterested in. Rather, he enjoys coming alongside of us and empowering us and using us. Though we may have a bad view of ourselves, though we may be crippled by fear uh, or, or anxiety or doubt or hardships or calamities or persecutions, whatever it is, God comes and steps into those places and can breathe new life, can breathe grace, can breathe power. And how is this possible? Because Jesus accomplished redemption by living a perfect life of submission to the Father. Jesus gave his life on the cross as a ransom for us. Those who are not perfect and don't live in perfect submission to the Father. And when he gave his life, he took our sin. He took our frailty. He took our brokenness. He took those doubts that plague us, those things that limit us from living a life on mission so that when he raises from the dead, hear me, church, he not only rescues us from our sin, he grants us new life. He establishes his sovereign dominion over the entire universe by conquering the devil, by defeating sin and removing the sting of death so that when you go into the world, Jesus says, I have given you all authority because I'm ruling and reigning over everything. So now there is not a place that you don't walk into where you don't have clearance, where you don't have access, where you don't have authority because every place you walk into, you walk with the resurrected power of God, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, God himself in you and he has your back. He is with you. He is for you. So where there is death in the kingdom of God, praise God, there's hope. Where there is weakness, thank God, there's a different vision for living where weakness can be strength. God can use something as violent and yet ordinary as the cross to save the world. And God can use something as broken and ordinary as you and I to advance his kingdom, to be a vessel of hope, to share his love and change the world. This means that there is nothing, church, there is nothing outside of God's creative control that can't be used to change the world and to advance his kingdom. There is nothing outside of his control that God can't use through you, in you, to change the world, to see your family redeemed, to see your heart renewed, to see neighbors experience wholeness and life in Christ. So this means that when you go to work, the eternal all-powerful, undisputed, all-knowing God, Jesus Christ, is with you, and he has your back. Uh, And I believe that living a life on mission means reminding ourselves that God is with us. God is with you in every area of life and desires to use you to proclaim and embody his good news in the space and place that he's placed you in. To proclaim, to share with your words that Jesus is better and amazing and that life can be found in him. But not only to proclaim those words, but to embody it with your life. As you are God's representative here on earth. And so we represent God by living in joyful obedience to him and submitting to his word and the way he's called us to live. And so I believe this is what this looks like for us this week. I believe that when you step foot into your place of work, that when you log on for work, that when you walk into the grocery store, when you step into your classroom, when you drop off the kids, when you run errands, 
God is, an ex- God is extending an age-old invitation. I believe he's saying, let's go. Let's do something. I'm with you. I love you. I want to use you to breathe hope and life into a broken world. I want to use you to be a beacon of hope and light to people who are barren and feel death and are stuck in darkness. I believe he's extending that invitation. Let's go. To which our response is, yes. Yes, let's do it. Send me. Send me. I'll go. We can say yes because we don't have to rely on our own power. So when God extends that invitation and says to you, let's go, he's not relying on your own power or your own efforts. Rather, we rely on his power and his efforts to accomplish what he wants us to do. So when God says, let's go, he's already provided every single thing you need to walk and live with mission, to walk and live with him. We can take courage because at the end of this chapter, Paul says in verse 20, his power is at work in us. God's power is at work in you. God has commissioned you to be a steward of this message. And this message is good news for all people. This gospel is for everyone. And there is grace for you to tell everyone. To share with people how Jesus has transformed your life. To share with them. How faith in Christ is a far better way to live than giving ourselves to what this world has to offer. And that all the love and all the joy and all the satisfaction and all the security and stability that your heart is craving, God in his great love for you offers you a better way to live. And that's with Jesus. Will you go? Let's close in prayer as we consider two questions. Who in your life needs to experience this good news? Who in your life needs to experience new life that is found in Christ? Ask the Lord to reveal to you. Maybe it's uh, your neighbor. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a co-worker. Who in your life needs to be transformed by this life-giving message? Now, as you consider that person, that family member, would you ask the Holy Spirit to pour out his empowering presence and grace to use you to proclaim the good news and to embody the good news? Would you ask that the Holy Spirit would give you boldness and power to share your story to share how Jesus has transformed your life and how um, a, a relationship with God is for everyone. That you don't have to get your life straight and have all your sin figured out. Rather, God chooses to meet you where you are and carry the burden of transforming you to be more and more like Him. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you live a life on mission? Maybe that looks like scheduling a lunch with a friend. Maybe that looks like playing at the park a few minutes longer so you can get to know your neighbors. Maybe that looks like inviting a friend to church or texting somebody and saying, hey, how can I I pray for you? Would you ask the 
Holy Spirit to give you grace to go. Lord, I thank you uh, that you've torn down this dividing wall of hostility. Uh, Lord, I praise you that uh, there is no longer any barrier, no barrier of sin, no barrier of knowledge, no barrier of wisdom that we can experience life with you and that you desire to use us to share this life of faith with others. Father, whatever came over Paul when he was in that prison cell and he was moved by joy and courage and boldness to be able to say, uh, despite the calamities and despite the hardships and despite the persecution and all and the abandonment um, and, and the afflictions, praise God that when I am weak, I am strong. Lord, whatever came over him that moved him to worship and to joy in you, would you come and refresh us with that revelation of your presence? of your goodness, of your worthiness, that Jesus is worthy and Jesus is better. Lord, I pray that you would, as Acts 1-8 says, just baptize us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be your witnesses. Would you fill us, Lord, with your power and presence? that we would not go relying on our own power, but relying on yours as we not only proclaim your gospel, but embody it with our lives. In Jesus' name.